Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The proper communication of climate science is just as important as communicating at all. In an ever-changing world, keeping up with communication techniques is extremely important. The intersection of television and science has never been more vital than today. On this episode of Weather Geeks, we're joined by Bernadette Woods-Plackey, Chief Meteorologist and Climate Matters Program Director at Division of Climate Central. As an Emmy-winning on-camera meteorologist, Bernadette can help us fully understand the line between proper and poor climate communication techniques. Bernadette, thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Well, thank you for having me today. I'm so excited to be joining you. Well, this is awesome. And I can tell you, if you've just uh, tuned in or stumbled upon this podcast, you're in for a treat. Bernadette is one of the best in the business at communicating both weather and climate. In fact, I actually remember watching her some uh, when I lived in Maryland, when she was an on-air meteorologist at WJZ in Baltimore, where she earned an Emmy as best weathercaster. She was there for 10 years. She's now the chief meteorologist and climate matters program director. She also has a bachelor's degree in meteorology from Penn State University. I know she's a big Nittany Lion fan. She <laughs> holds the American Meteorological TV seal of approval and the certified broadcast meteorologist uh, designation. She's also on the AMS Committee on Applied Climatology and a board member of Penn State's Graduates of Earth and Mineral Science. So you can see that we're talking to someone that knows her stuff. Bernadette, I'm going to start every question like I do with every Weather Geeks guest. How did you get interested in weather? Oh, wow. I don't think I have the same story as most people. I had the same passion, but when I was a kid, I didn't really know that weather was a career. I absolutely loved storms way more than the normal human being, which is the same story for all meteorologists. Growing up in the Northeast around Philly, got way too into snowstorms, and I still do. Some of the coastal storms spending my time at the Jersey Shore as a kid also. But my real focus as a child was gymnastics. That was my passion. That was my life. And it wasn't until I got to college when I really started thinking, okay, so what am I going to do with my life? And my brother said, what do you mean, what are you going to do? You love weather, and you're at one of the best schools for it. So it all started to come together. Fortunately, for those who are weather geeks or do follow this closely, no, you really have to have a robust background in math and science. And I did have that. That was always a passion of mine also. So it all came together. And once I got into the program, you know, I found my thing and I've loved it more and more every day. And after you graduated from Penn State University, was your first job in TV meteorology as a broadcaster? No, that's another one. I don't follow the normal story here. Well, this is good. Well, it's, um, I didn't it's want to do television. Like In fact, I really didn't want to do anything with television because of the hair, the makeup, all of that stuff. But I started 
getting into forecasting while I was in school and it was fun. I mean, forecasting is really fun. And I had an internship at AccuWeather. So my first job out of Penn State was at AccuWeather. They didn't have the TV division that they have now, but they did start some video online recordings while I was there. And during my time at AccuWeather, I saw the real impact of storms. And it might sound a little bit cheesy, but you get this drive to keep people safe. You really do. You see what's coming ahead of time. And so working through TV meteorologists and other forms of, of communications and media at AccuWeather, I just decided that I was going to go and try it myself. And I did have a professor who kept trying to push me in that direction while I was at Penn State. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to go give this a try. And I had a blast doing it. And that took me up till this part of my career. Yeah, and I, I want to apologize there for talking over Bernadette. We had a little bit of delay there. Uh, I know you did some work at WLEX in Lexington, Kentucky, and KNWA in Fayetteville, Fayetteville Arkansas as well, uh, and then WJZ, I should say, in Baltimore, Maryland. So talk to me. We're going to talk all about communicating climate and climate matters, but talk to me about the decision or the transition to go from TV meteorologist to Climate Central. Well, I think it comes back to that concept of informing people and keeping them safe. It really was a drive for me, and I know for a lot of TV meteorologists. And in that process, you know, you have a direct line to the public. It is still the primary way that most of society consumes its news. It is a changing landscape, but even the TV meteorologists have a strong digital and social media footprint. So they are really trusted in their communities. Now, I'd like to say it was purely the drive for climate change. It wasn't fully that. I was in a position where I loved my weather team at WJZ, and most of them are still there, and they're just, they're just fantastic guys. But I just wanted to see what else was going on in the world of meteorology. I've always just been interested in so many aspects of it. And I came across this job at Climate Central, and the more I investigated who they were, the more intrigued I was. I really liked the people. I really liked what they were doing. And it is that same concept just on bigger scales of trying to inform society and keep them safe on much bigger issues in much longer time frames. So that's what sort of drew me into this position at Climate Central. And I think it's a, an important position because, as you well know, Bernadette, and this is a topic I want to discuss today, the TV meteorology community, which you and I know very well, and you've been a part of it, there's been sort of an interesting evolution of perspective from some in that group on climate change. First of all, before we talk about climate matters, talk to the listeners of Weather Geeks about the evolution and status of where you think the broadcast meteorology field is on climate change and how they cover it. It really is an interesting discussion if you've been following along. When I stepped into this job at Climate Central in 2013, the TV meteorology community was not convinced fully that the climate was changing. And that produced a lot of challenges in advancing this conversation. The earlier survey was about 2010, 2011 that was taken for the entire TV meteorology community showed that only about 54% of TV meteorologists were convinced the climate was even changing, and the numbers of human causation were much lower than that. Then we've done a ton of work. I'm not saying we're the only people, but a lot has been done. And if you really look about a 
community of practice and, and times of change to, to really advance a subject matter. Our most recent all TV meteorology survey was done in 2017, so we're looking at about six, seven years there, and now 95% are convinced the climate is changing. So there has been an absolute evolution and advancement on this subject matter. And there's a lot of reasons for that, and we can get into those. I don't think it's one simple reason, but TV meteorologists are really on the front lines of this subject matter. And they're seeing how this is affecting the people, places, and things that they love. And they have this really unique position to be able to make those connections for the public in a scientific way. In this ongoing conversation that they have with their audience, I mean, they're invited into their houses every day. So it really is a unique role and a unique opportunity. And there has been a huge transformation. Talking with Bernadette Woods Plackey from Climate Central, and you know, you know it's true. TV meteorologists are basically the only scientists much of the public sees on a day-to-day basis, and they have expertise related to climate change. But as you noted, there has been some hesitancy, and still is in some markets, uh, to talk about climate change. Can you discuss? And again, I, I, I want to get to some of the reasons why I think that number has gone from the 50s to the 95 percent level. I think climate matters is a big part of that. For frankly. But can you discuss from your lens some of the reasons why TV meteorologists have been hesitant to talk about climate change? So breaking it down to a few different levels, one is they are scientists. So they question things a little bit differently than the general public. Uh, They want evidence-based information on what's going on. Two, there is a lot of misinformation out there. <laughs> there, and there was even more so, take you back 10 years. Um, on top of that, meteorologists live in the modeling community, but weather models are fundamentally different than climate models. They still have the same physics, but as you know, Marshall, even more so than myself, the inputs and the outputs and the scales that we're looking at are different. And so I think that there was a lot of education needed to understand those differences so you can understand how to trust and understand and read a climate model, just like the TV meteorologists with forecasting weather models have done. So they've really brought up their IQ on that. In addition, this is a community, think about it, it's attacked more so than almost any other community, maybe save the the politicians, but they're constantly told how wrong they are. And they just didn't want to go somewhere until they were ready or confident or really skilled at communicating the aspects of it. So there was a lot of work done in understanding what climate change meant for their local weather patterns and the people that live in their communities. So it's a lot of different factors there that work was done to educate, to inform, to connect meteorologists with climate scientists and really bridge those two communities, give TV meteorologists a chance to ask the questions that were on their mind and understand the science of it and dig in a little bit more. And I think it was a little misunderstood the full climate system because as a meteorologist, you're really focused on the atmosphere and of course the oceans also and how that plays in, but the full biology and the other aspects of science that go into a full climate system that come into play when we're, lo- when we're looking at these long scales of climate change. And those are great, great examples. And I, I resonate with everything that Bernadette just said. One additional thing that I, I've often wondered about and observed is 
I've, I've heard talking off the record with colleagues that there's also a fear at times among sort of station managers or perhaps the meteorologists themselves that it will turn off viewers or hurt ratings, particularly if they're in a conservative market where there's a different viewpoint on climate change. But I think some of the very people that have used your program, the Climate Matters program, people like Jim Gandy in South Carolina, for example, or Amber Sullen in Arizona, conservative states politically, if you will, uh, but they've actually been able to prosper and be the top in their market, if you will. So with that, I want to pivot to a discussion of climate matters because I personally think, and I'm quoted on the record in a recent article as saying this, I think one of the reasons that there's so much more coverage by TV meteorologists is because of the Climate Matters program. So talk a little bit about the Climate Matters program and your position there. Well, that's also a good point what you got into, and I think that factors into how we approach this program also. Uh, Climate Matters is, let me just step back for a moment. Climate Central in general is, for those who don't know, we're a nonprofit, non-governmental organization. We're non-policy. We're strictly about the science and the communications. And what we do is try to bridge the gap between science and the public. And this massive topic of climate change. And there was such great science going on, but such misinformation out in the public. So the founding, I don't want to say just fathers, but fathers and mothers of the organization really created us to be this honest broker on the subject matter. And we've worked very hard to be that space. And we've taken different projects and programs along the way. A few of the programs that have really resonated, one being our Sea Level Rise program, and two being this Climate Matters program, which is the one I particularly spend my time on and the one we're talking about today. And the concept of that is we're partnering with TV meteorologists and now journalists to really inform society about how climate change is affecting them and what can be done about it. And we do that through a a means of ways. One is we put out a weekly product that is grounded in science. It's a it's a timely topic, whether it has to do with something going on in the news or the seasonal cycle. And it's got data that is localized to communities across the country when possible. I mean, scientifically, that's not always possible with some topics. But we try to localize when possible. We produce TV-ready visuals. It comes packaged with the latest science, the methodologies, uh, additional links to information on the subject matter that are a constant flow of climate change story ideas for TV meteorologists and journalists to bring right into what they're doing. We also do a lot of support work in trainings and individual support. We have workshops and webinars, and Marshall has joined us many times on these workshops because he is also a fantastic voice on the subject matter, as many of you know. And we're really trying to answer the questions that continue to surface in the TV meteorology and journalism communities and give the resources and the background information to build the confidence to know where to connect these stories. And then from there, to advance the storytelling in the subject matter. And then we do a lot of individual support of people reaching out to us saying, you know, I was working on this story and I couldn't find an expert or we work in the Spanish speaking community too. Um, Could you maybe help us find a Spanish speaking expert on the subject? Or I got this question from a viewer and I'm not sure how best to answer it. Or, you know, those kinds of things. Or do you have any science on this topic? So there's just a, a range of ways we're trying to support this entire community to advance everything that's going on. 
Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Weather Geeks Podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm talking with my good friend and colleague, Bernadette Woods Blackie. She's, she's just one of the best in the business at communicating weather and climate, so uh, someone that I've wanted to chat with for some time on the podcast, so glad we have you here today. And you're talking about Climate Matters, Climate Central. And by the way, definitely check out their website and their, their Twitter and social media feeds because they put out some amazing information. I think you, as even if you're not a TV meteorologist and just want some good climate information, their graphics and reports available at their resources are, are quite good. So I highly recommend them. Bernadette, talk about some, and I, I saw you recently in Boston at the American Meteorological Society conference, and I saw you talk about some metrics and successes and sort of benchmarks that you all have hit with your program. Talk about some of your successes over the years. I do have to say I'm it's exciting to see this finally happening. And I I have to throw out there, though, too, that it's not just us at Climate Central. We're part of a collaboration also with George Mason University. The AMS has given us tremendous support, NASA, NOAA. And now we did have Yale as a partner for a while, also bringing in climate communication at this point. So there's a lot of us really working on this. And any of you listening out there who are in this space, please reach out because we really are trying to advance the subject. And if there's unique ways you're doing it or ideas, we'd love to hear from you. So some of the big moments along the way, this project was started with Jim Gandy, as you mentioned earlier, and a National Science Foundation grant in 2010. Then advanced to today, we've had two additional National Science Foundation grants, which are 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 pretty tremendous that we've been able to keep this going. And we've grown our community to 800 TV meteorologists, which represents more than a third. So for perspective, there's about 2,200 in the United States. We do also play internationally, but I'm going to focus on the United States right now with some of those metrics. And our use is the other thing that is really starting to grow. In the beginning, since there were so many questions on this subject matter, uh, people were more hesitant to bring it into the broadcast. But we have, for the third year in a row now, doubled our use numbers. So over 3,500 TV broadcasts, most of them local across the United States, to inform societies about what is going on. And those numbers continue to grow. We've also expanded a few years ago with the help of John Morales in Miami to create everything in Spanish also so that we can support the Spanish-speaking media. And in addition to that, we have been able to expand our work to journalists. So we're really starting to up capacity in the journalism community to advance the storytelling there also. So our, And we're up to 400 journalists so far in a short amount of time. So the numbers are starting to grow, and there's a lot of excitement and interest right now. And so we're trying to make sure we can keep this story advancing in the right direction. In By that, I mean, you know, people are asking questions right now, and we want to answer those questions, but we want to also help them envision 
what a future looks like that is more sustainable. Bring in more of those conversations on solutions and what people can do about them, what some of the technology and science advancements are. And so that is some of the focus too. And one more point before I throw it back to you is one of the ways we're doing that for meteorologists is with a wind and solar tool that we have created, which is really exciting. I mean, this has been one that we've been working on for a while, sort of a passion project. We're calling it Weather Power because it's weather powering our future. And we've been able to pair with the help of Mezzo, uh, the forecasting company out of New York, and John Zach, their weather API with current installations of wind and solar that are already in place across the United States, and then spitting out a forecast of how much solar wind power that could generate in the upcoming days. And it's done for a couple of different geographies. It is aggregated across designated market areas for TV people, but there's also state data and, and even breaks down to smaller districts. And then there's a couple of fun metrics you can spit out, you know, the pure energy output, but all the way down to the equivalent cell phones smartphones charged. So there's some fun ways to think through these these advancements we're making in society and what we could do to stabilize our future. And it's interesting that you mentioned that, Bernadette, because I talked to a reporter recently. She was doing a story on the AMS and she talked about how in the broadcast session, there was some discussion about the desire to move beyond just reporting the gloom and doom of what's happening with climate change to talking about climate solutions. Do you see that as the next evolution in TV reporting on climate? I do. And in fact, we already see it happening. I have been blown away And knowing that the TV meteorologists are already just amazing people, the way that they're taking their storytelling to this next level is just incredible. They're engaging in this subject matter at levels that are just beyond impressive. And they're telling these stories. Now, it is a balance. And there's a lot of conversation in the climate change communication circles of, Make sure you give the hope. Make sure you show the future. And that is important, too. It really is. But the reality of the science also needs to be brought into play. And sometimes that's not so hopeful. So it's that balance of making sure you don't give a false hope. You really inform your community so that they know what's going on, but also helping empower them to understand what is being done, what can be done, and seeing that vision of the future. Of, of how how we can all move toward it. Yeah, that's a great point. But talking with Bernadette Woods-Plackey from Climate Central, I want to get pretty practical and sort of very application-specific here, Bernadette. Uh, you have some communication techniques and tips for discussing climate change. What are some of your tricks of the trade that you recommend? Good question. And this is something we did bring up at AMS. So if you were with us there, this will just reinforce it for the rest of you. These are some of the thoughts we were talking through. The golden rule of any communication is know your audience. Again, know your audience. And I, that can mean so much. You really have to think through tone, topic, timing, and when you address someone or talk to someone about anything. In particular, this subject matter is what we're focused on, but anything. So that is A number one. When it comes to climate change specifically, meet people where they are. If it was pure information that was going to solve this issue, it would be solved. So we need to connect with people. It has become politicized. So 
you know, there's a few different people. Catherine Hayhoe is one of them and a, and a few other just master communicators that are really trying to get people to see this. It's, we need to connect on shared values and interests. If you're walking into a place where your connecting element is a football game or is a sporting event, Unfortunately, climate change is affecting everything, so it's affecting sports too. You know, there's ways to, to bring in those shared topics as your entry point to talking about climate change. Uh, localize and personalize. You know, this is a global issue, but you feel it personally. You really experience it personally, and you take action personally and locally. So whenever you can break down that global issue to something that is happening in your neighborhood, do that. Simplify. People have gotten so scared of the subject matter that they tend to either run away from it or overthink it. But the real basics of climate change are fairly simple. And this is something Scott Denning has said many times. And I know to all the scientists out there, the complexities of the science are there. And I'm not underestimating that. But it's the basis of we know what greenhouse gases do. That is not question science. We know we're adding more of them. And so that is the foundation for our changing climate. Now, getting into the impacts and the implications and what can be done, that's when it gets more complex. But it really is a basic, simple matter for the onset of the conversation. Now, for the communicators out there or the people trying to get into communication, you hear people say, oh, dumb it down. I do not look at this as dumbing down. And I actually take offense to that because I think it takes great skill to simplify a big topic into smaller, more digestible pieces. So that's another one. That's one, two, three, four. Um, five on the list is tell a story. You know, charts and facts help tell that story. And we are very grounded in science. But bring in the people. Bring in the faces. Bring in the humanity. That really resonates with a whole different audience and helps that story linger. And don't be afraid. Science is on your side. We have a lot of science and growing networks of people you can talk to if you have questions on how best to bring this into something that you're doing. But don't be afraid. It's, it's past that time. We have to really find the strength in our voice to tell the science that is happening. And that is fact. And that's something we need to communicate. Yeah, I, I completely agree there, Bernadette. The, the science is on our side. And uh, one other thing that I would put out there, I know you work closely with the folks at uh, uh, Yale Climate Communication. Uh, be aware of that Six America study. You heard Bernadette talk about knowing your audience. Be aware of that Six America study, too, because there is a nine or 10 percent dismissive group that's the loudest on Twitter or at your Thanksgiving table debating climate change that probably not going to move the needle with them. So sort of understand and sort of cut your losses, if you will, in terms of how you interact with those folks. So would you would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think that the Yale and George Mason research is really important in this because there's this perception that those who challenge the subject matter of climate change are still a dominant force in society. They have very loud voices, but they are an ever shrinking part of the population. And at this point, they're only about nine or 10% of our population. So if you cater all of your communications to them, you're missing 90% of the population who wants to know what's going on and is interested and may not be raising their voices because a lot of social media is 
consumers, not the voices that are adding to the conversation. So there's a lot of people you're missing if you cater your conversation to that 10%. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And we are back on the Weather Geeks podcast. I'm Dr. Marshall Shepard from the University of Georgia, and I'm speaking with Bernadette Woods-Plackey about all things communicating climate, and she's one of the best at doing it. Now, we were talking about your tips earlier. Do you your, do your tips that you recommend, do you think they resonate, or would you add anything if you're talking about, say, the non-meteorologists? There are, there are a lot of journalists and sort of non-scientists out there writing about environmental and climate change issues, and I suspect they all apply your tips, but uh, what are your thoughts on sort of this new world of non-scientists that are communicating climate? I think it's fantastic. It means people are asking questions and are interested and want to learn more and and talk to other people about it. So I think focusing on the media in general, all of those tips apply. And what I would say to a lot of journalists out there is often you're already doing these stories you're just not making the connections if you haven't gone there yet, because it doesn't have to be a climate change story. Climate change is a health story. It's a business story. It's food, water, travel, sports, shifting seasons, transportation, energy, buildings, infrastructure. I mean, it is such a big world and diverse world of what's been affected by climate change. So if you're doing these stories, and for most of the journalists out there, you have been thrown into extreme weather, whether you wanted to or not. And so there are connections that simply can be made in a story you're already doing. And when you engage in this story, which really honestly is the biggest story of our time, you're going to see a whole world of story ideas open up. So for media specifically, I think all of that applies. For those who are listening because they are weather geeks themselves and are simply interested, do raise your voice. Talk to people. Your voice is powerful. It is one of the most powerful things that you have. It can start a conversation. It can get other people interested. It can help get the misinformation out of the conversation and your voice can multiply. You can start things in a community. You can get other people joining you to advance a subject matter. So the more you can talk about it, the more you can ask questions, the more you can advance the subject matter, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Great information. Bernadette, I, I want to shift gears now and actually put on our weather or meteorologist hats for a second. Let's look back at 2019. Um, were there any extreme weather events that, yeah, just just catch your eye or things that really stood out for you about 2019 in terms of weather events and things like Dorian or other things? And, and what are your thoughts on, on what happened in 2019 and looking forward to 2020? Dorian, wow. I mean, that is one of those moments as any meteorologist and you're seeing the models and you're even concerned, but then when it absolutely exploded, I mean, you know what that looks like on the ground as a meteorologist. And it is bone chilling. And it's still, I mean, it's, it's giving me chills out. It is so awful what happened. So that is in its own category, really, I think. Another thing, I mean, Houston flooding again is, is just, 
it's it's surprising that it's still surprising, but just the frequency <laughs> yes. of the flooding that's happening there is crazy. And then 2019, as we reviewed the year with the Climate Matters Program, trying to think of what what information can we pull together for a year in review? I mean, once again, it was a year of rain. Exactly. It was a year of rain in so many places. And it wasn't just flash flooding. It was the long, ongoing river flooding that just wiped out farms and people's livelihoods in some cases that they are not coming back from. Is this consistent with things that, uh, and I, I think I know the answer to this, but is this consistent with what you would expect in a climate change fueled world? And I think you do know the answer because you are one of the leads in this research. But yes, unfortunately, yes. And what is scary about it, I think from a personal perspective, is it's only going to accelerate and escalate. And it comes back to that concept of trying to keep people informed and safe. There are enough problems in society that are that are so hard to solve. Cancer, some of the diseases, the coronavirus going on right now, homelessness. Uh, it's These are massive issues that people have been working on, in some cases, for a long time. This issue of climate change is the biggest challenge we are facing, but it is one that we know how to solve. And the quicker we can get at it, the better off we all are, because the longer we wait, the harder it is. And I think that's very misunderstood by humanity and society, that what we're putting out now is lasting for hundreds to, in some case, thousands of years. So even if for some reason, let's just say we shut off emissions today, as you know, Marshall, it's not over. There's a lot that's really baked into our system. So that's why there's such a feverishness about making sure we can move things forward now. And I also just want to bring up, there's a lot of, I think, confusion on this concept that was put out with the, the big IPCC 1.5 degree report. That IPCC report is phenomenal. And it's all framed in a goal of keeping global warming to a limit of 1.5 degrees Celsius. So when you see or hear timeframes related to it, for example, the 12 years, now down to 10 years, that was with respect to a 1.5 degree goal. However, every tenth of a degree matters. It's why we need to move so quickly into taking actions. Because if we go to 1.4, we go to 1.6, it doesn't mean we suddenly hit a cliff and everything's done, or that we spared the worst. Because when you talk to the people in Paradise, California, they feel like they felt the worst already. So every tenth of a degree really matters, and that's why we need to get a handle on this now so we can limit that future warming to a level that we can adapt in a society. I mean, there's certain things that, that, that are going to change and are already changed, but the more we can do now the more we'll limit that future change and the worse weather that's coming our way. Talking with Bernadette Woods-Plackian, drawing to a close, I'm enjoying this conversation, so I hate for it to end. But there was a question that did come to mind that I wanted to ask you earlier, but I'll, I'll ask it now uh, because you're, you're such an expert in sort of media, climate and communication. Bernadette, what, how do we deal with the confusion that the public sees? For example, when you might have 
two TV meteorologists in a market that are sort of using climate matters information, but you may have a person in that same market that it says exactly the opposite or says climate change is a hoax. I'll give you another example. I write for Forbes magazine. I'm a science contributor there. And, and most of the contributors there on the Forbes science side are writing fairly credible things. Uh, but there are also different viewpoints written in that same Forbes format. And so it, there's a lot of confusion out there uh, when you have people that people, I guess, see as credible voices that are saying different things. How do we combat that? You know, that is a real challenge. And I think it's a much bigger challenge than even this subject, especially in society right now when fact is being undermined on a, on a re, in a really big way and in a really fundamental way. Where I try to focus attention is helping people know how to sort through that information, you know, we're going to work with our people and people that want to work with us. And we're going to keep bringing it back to facts and things that you can prove. But I think society themselves need to help understand how to sort through misinformation. And it's hard. It, and it's getting even harder all the time when what you think are trusted sources are suddenly being sold out by advertising or some other form that comes in and is giving you like a paid ad at the same time you're reading something that they've worked really hard to produce in a story. So it's getting harder and harder. But I think as a society, we really need to help each other and help ourselves work through the misinformation that's out there for so many different subjects. And this is where I think instead of going to our own holes or our own sides, and it's so easy to retreat right now because some of the subjects that are, that are really present are tough when you care. When you care about the fabric of society, it's, it's tough to handle. But this is where we need to work together and bridge gaps so that when you learn and talk to people, you understand so much more and it can help you understand what is fact and what is not fact out there. And it just brings people more together than pushing them farther and farther apart. Final question. What's next for the Climate Matters program and for you? Oh, so focused for me personally, so focused on this subject now. We're trying to, you know, save the climate right now. Um, we've got some work to do that still. <laughs> so uh, just a little but, task, man, nothing big. <laughs> but I think with this program, there is a, a growing interest in understanding what climate change means to people. So how can we best support that and keep this conversation going in the right way? Because even if we are to get some big changes in policies and, and personal approaches to life, this is a conversation that needs to continue in a sustained way for the next couple of decades if we actually want to stabilize our climate. So this isn't something that will suddenly just turn off in a couple of years. So we're really trying to think of how we can scale with certain technologies, the, the growing demand that we're getting, so we can get our information out in better ways to people. Like I said in our conversation earlier on solutions, how we can bring that into people's conversation and, and really support that so people can envision what that world looks like. And then really just helping people use their voice. 
And that's where we have to end it. But before we do, it's that time of the podcast. It's time for the Geek of the Week. This episode's Geek of the Week is Aaron Baker. While Aaron's biggest weather event he experienced was Hurricane Rita, his fascination really stems from a small tornado that hit his house several years ago. Today, he's been slowly immersing himself in the field of meteorology by reading all of the latest textbooks. If you or someone you know is deserving as a Geek of the Week candidate, Check out our social media pages on Twitter and Facebook. Congratulations, Aaron and Bernadette. Thank you for joining us on the Weather Geeks podcast. Before you get out of here, though, where can they find you on social media? Sure. I'm at Bernadette Woods. I kept my maiden name when I was still on TV, so that's kind of locked in right there. And uh, Climate Matters, if anybody wants this information, you can get it. ClimateCentral.org. Go through our media library, sign up, and we send out weekly stuff. And we'd love to hear from you. And Marshall, thank you so much for being a voice in the subject matter yourself, because you are a leading voice. In climate change. And thank you for having me today. I really appreciated it. Well, we, we really appreciate that, that you joining us. It's been a great, great podcast. And thank you all for listening. You're a part of the Weather Geeks family as well. And thanks. Enjoy your company every week. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time on the Weather Geeks podcast. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.